Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchangechurch. The following message is brought to you by Pastor Jonathan Knight. Welcome to the exchange, everybody. I am Pastor Jay. If you, do, if you don't recognize my face or uh, who I am, I am Pastor Jay. I am the worship and youth pastor here at the exchange. And right around this time of year is when I get to speak. I'll give you two guesses. Uh, it's because I'm here, usually. I don't usually go anywhere. And uh, whenever we need someone to speak, I'm ready to go. And uh, so uh, I... Uh, this week, Jared called me and said, hey, man, um, can, you, can you preach this week? I was like, yes, absolutely. I tell you all this. I, I tell you all my thought process every time I speak. So I get told, hey, are you going to speak? And I, the first question I always ask is, what do you want me to speak on? What, what is it? And the answer always is, whatever you feel like speaking. <laughs> and so then goes the long, arduous journey of trying to figure out what to say. Um, And uh, I thought it was appropriate to talk about Christmas, since we're two days removed from Christmas. Uh, I know it's post-Christmas time, but we didn't actually have a Christmas service. We had the kids' service. And so uh, I just thought it would be probably a good idea to talk about Christmas and the Christmas story a little bit. Um, I Hopefully, y'all all had a wonderful Christmas. Yeah. Uh, we had a pretty good one. We, uh, we didn't travel this year. Well, we traveled down to my parents' house on Christmas Eve. Um, my, Christmas, my parents' Christmas usually consists of me driving down to Victoria at like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, driving down there, and then um, waiting there until probably about midnight is when we open presents. And usually it's because my mom's like, wrapping presents still. She's cooking dinner and wrapping presents, and we're trying to help her, and it just kind of, she's like, don't leave me alone, okay? So we leave her alone in the kitchen, and uh, usually it's about midnight, but this year was different. This year was different. I talked to her on the phone, and I said, hey, mom, when are you planning? What are you planning for Christmas Eve? Because I got a couple things I got to do down in Victoria, uh, just trying to figure out, you know, I'll be doing those things around seven or eight, and she goes, oh, well, we were looking at opening presents about seven or eight. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, seven or eight, yeah, we'll open presents. And she was like, no, really. I, I, most of the presents are, are made already. So we actually had an early Christmas Eve uh, wrapping, you know, opening presents and all that stuff, which was awesome because it means that me and Lindsay, because we have to drive back for Christmas Day, so we got in, you know, not too late. I did turned the wrong direction out of Bucky's when we stopped. So I drove for like 30 minutes in the wrong direction. Yeah. And whenever I turned back around and we, we passed Bucky's again was about the time that we would have gotten home. So it makes that por- portion of the trip like terrible, you know, cause you know, it could have been over. It was terrible anyway. Uh, but Christmas day, we had an awesome Christmas day, uh, with my in-laws, but I was thinking, and we had this conversation with my in-laws, because uh, I was really worried that we were going to have 70-degree weather on Christmas Day. I was really worried about that, because the last two Christmases, I don't know if you all remembered, but it's not only been over 70, it's also been extremely humid and, like, sticky, sticky weather. Things that you need. Thing we had this discussion about, and uh, it, it got me thinking, what are the things that you need for Christmas to feel like Christmas? 
Where, do, where are some of the things? And I'll explain that. If you don't have those things, it doesn't feel like Christmas, right? If I were to ask you that question, we would probably all have different answers, but they probably wouldn't be far off. They'd probably be some that we would agree on some of them, and then other, maybe a tradition that you guys have that I don't have, you'll say, you know, yeah, you know, we take uh, the son-in-law in the backyard and we beat him up with sticks, you know, okay, that's cool, whatever. Uh, we don't do that in my house, thank God. Um, but uh, there are some things that make Christmas Christmas, right? One of those things in my family is uh, watching a Christmas story on repeat 24 hours a day on Christmas Day. TBS, 24 hours, dad puts it on, plays in the background. Lindsay's never seen the movie all the way through. She's only seen that portion, so she didn't enjoy it. So this year, my parents switched from having cable to just Netflix and stuff. So no more TBS, 24-hour a Christmas story. So on Christmas, the day after Christmas, I made Lindsay watch Christmas Story with me. She enjoyed it. Update, she enjoyed it. Um, spoiler alert. Um, but there are some things that we do in Christmas that it, if this changed, it's not Christmas anymore. It doesn't feel like Christmas. Might as well be Thanksgiving or Easter, whatever. But some of those things for me, if you were to ask me that question, the first, I was sitting there writing this, and the first thing that popped up in my head was Christmas lights. I got to see Christmas lights. There's got to be Christmas. If there's no Christmas lights out, then what even time of year are we in? You know what I mean? We could be in spring for all I care. There, Christmas lights got to be up. The second thing I thought about was Christmas dec- uh, decorated Christmas tree. Right? And if y'all can, just close your eyes and kind of envision this stuff with me. So you got Christmas lights. You see the image of the decorated Christmas tree. And then my third thing is I think about getting warm. Not being warm, getting warm, because there's two different things. Right now, I am warm, okay? I'm not getting warm. There's no more getting involved. Now there's only shedding that needs to happen, right? Uh, Getting warm is like when you're by a fire and you're cold and heat from the fire comes up or you're under a blanket, Uh, Or maybe you're just chilling in a hoodie, right? But getting warm is the important thing for me. It needs to be cold, and I need to be getting warm. Uh, Think, I think then about who is with me. So I think about, you know, my mom and dad, my in-laws, my wife, my dog. Then I think about my brother and all my nieces and nephews on both sides. And I think about them. I think about my friends that are closer than family now or as close as family. And I think about opening presents and laughing and uh, laughing at dumb inside jokes that we've accumulated over the years. And I think about those things. I think about uh, hopefully taking some time off to where I don't have to think about work for at least an hour or two, right? Please. Um, These are the things that for me make up Christmas. These are, and y'all probably have your own things. And we all have our own answers for what we need. But Christmas, it's so coaster. It can be filled with a lot of highs, filled with a lot of lows. Uh, for example, I'll give you three main examples of that. For example, the joy you feel when you open gifts or when you watch other people open the gifts you bought for them couldn't have happened unless you were 
uh, on the front lines, frantically and most of the time armored up to go get presents at the store, right? The the presents wouldn't exist unless you had that experience of going out there and worn for those presents. It's not so much this year, okay, granted, because really all you had to do was go, and people are like scattering, right? And then you're like, ooh, I get this toy. Yeah, lick it, you know. Uh, This is mine now, you know. Uh, Anyway, guys got that one. Um, But for most years, you had to suit up and get ready for battle, especially on Black Friday, right? Black Friday, you know, you've got magazines taped up around your arms, and you're ready to, you know, bust a few people. Uh, But this year, more of the worry was like, are the presents going to get in on time? Did I wait too long to order this? You know, I'm sure a lot of, and you know, my family had a lot of uh, IOUs. You know, we ordered this. It got delayed. Here's a picture of it, you know. Um, And then some of us, here's the second example, is some of us, it's not Christmas without a big Christmas dinner, right? The turkey, the mashed potatoes, the green beans, basically uh, Thanksgiving 2.0, right? All the fixings. You know, my brother likes cranberry sauce. This guy have cranberry sauce. Every, anything else that you're sitting here, your mouth is watering, and you're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. That was good. Those things. None of that would have been possible if your mother or your wife or your husband, it's 2020, hey, we ain't judging, right? If somebody wasn't timing every second of Christmas Day to the point when everybody gathers, everybody's going to eat, It's got to be timed out like this, and it wouldn't be there without the stress of when nothing is on time, and there is kid, there's like knives throwing at kids, get out of the kitchen, you know, uh, stuff like that. The franticness of Christmas Day sometimes, uh, that meal probably wouldn't taste as good. You know, the meal, yeah, oh, we ordered it from Boston Market. I don't know. There's not Boston Market down here, but Boston, y'all remember Boston if you lived up north, Texas. Um, then there's the joy, right? The joy of seeing people you haven't seen in a year. So you see cousins, you see aunts, you see uncles, you see brothers, sisters, nephew, nieces, friends. You see them and you get to be with them. But that closeness also is paired with the sadness of maybe people that aren't there with you that year. And so Christmas is an up and down up and down roller coaster, and it reminds me of a specific roller coaster. It reminds me of a specific story in my life. It reminds me of the Rattler at Fiesta, Texas. Uh, that's Six Flags in San Antonio, if you don't know where it's at. The Rattler. How many of y'all have run on the Rattler before? If you haven't run on the Rattler, you need to do it, and you need to do it at the end of the night, and I'll tell you why. All right? So when I was a kid... I was absolutely terrified of roller coasters. I was terrified of heights. Uh, I'm in roofing now, and I'm still kind of scared of heights. But back then, I was, like, terrified. You could not. I would be on a tall building, and I could feel the building shift. And just feeling the building shift made me freeze up. I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere close to that edge. I'm not doing it. Right? And so Six Flags of Stuff, always, I was the drag of the family, not wanting to get on the big rides. My brother, you know, my brother and my dad would go, and I'd hang out with my mom. Um, but at one point, in eighth grade, I was like, enough is enough. I don't care if I die 
I'm going to get on this roller coaster, right? And that year, they had just released Superman at Fiesta, Texas. And Superman is one of the ones that, like, your feet dangle and it comes over. So actually, it's not as scary to me as the other ones were because I could just see myself flying out of all those other things. And this one, at least I'm like, I can hold on, you know what I mean? And I can hold tight. And if this thing drops underneath me, at least I'm like this, you know, and I'm like, and I fall and die. But, you know, at least I'll have something to hold on for two seconds. Uh, But in eighth grade, this came out. And so we got on it. And we were early there, so there hardly was any line. So we wrote it like six times in a row. And that pretty much broke me of my fear of roller coasters to the point of getting on the roller coaster. I'm still terrified the whole time I'm on the roller coaster, but getting on to it, loved it. later, Superman broke me of that, right? And so uh, we, we wrote it, wrote it, we loved it. Later that night, they're about to do the laser show so everybody's like leaving to go watch the laser show. And me and my brother double back to the Rattler. And we go to the Rattler. There's no line. We're running down the zigzags, you know what I mean? Jumping over the barriers, getting in line. We get on there. That's scary. But we get, we get up there. And the Rattler is unique because the Rattler, it was, I don't know if they, it is anymore. I haven't been there in a while. But it used to be one of the only wooden roller coasters left in the United States or in the world. I don't know. And the Rattler had a very distinct waiting area than any other roller coaster I've been on. And the reason why is because it's wooden, you hear the creaks, you hear the movement of the wood. And right where you're waiting, here's like I'm waiting in line. Here's the car, right, the track. And then on the other side of the track, you can see a big turn. And it's right there up against the thing. A big turn for the car. And every time that car comes around, you see all those boards shift as it goes around. And and that's it. And you're sitting there waiting in line, and you're watching time and time again. And it psychs you out, man. You start thinking... I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be the one guy that comes off of that and flies into the crowd. That's it. It's gonna break. And so, Superman broke me. So I'm getting on to the. I'm getting on there, and we go and we ride it, and it's awesome, and it's terrifying, and it's scary, and we ride it. We get back into the to the station, and there's no one in line. So what does the announcer do? He goes, "Hey, y'all want to ride again?" And of course, everybody's like, "Yeah." we want to again. I'm like wiping tears. Yeah, I want to do that. And so we go again and we do it four times in a row. Boom. And each time he says, I don't know if he did make it faster, but he says he makes it faster. Oh, I'm going to make it faster this time. I'm going to make it faster this time. And so there's probably safety codes that were broken that day, but we did it. And it was intense. Um, (laughs) So I, I get done and every single time, you know, every single time we came around, I was like, yeah, we want to do it again. But also every single time I was asking Jesus to forgive my sins. And I was making outlandish promises of Jesus, help me survive this. If I just survive this, I'm going to be the best kid in the world. I am going to, you know, pick up my room. I'm going to pick up my brother's room, you know. I'm going to do all this stuff that if I just survive. 
right? And then we get done, and I'm like, whew, okay, we made it. That wasn't so bad. Let's do it again. And then I'm right back, Jesus, save me. And I'm like halfway closing my eyes through the whole thing, you know? Uh, but that's, that was the rattler for me. And that sometimes is what, how Christmas is. Sometimes you just got to hold on. You just got to make it through. Okay, I got to get that Furby, right? I got to go get that Furby. If I just go in there, one track minded, I'm, I'm going to make it, okay? Everybody else is looking around. I can be in there, get that, frisbee, be, uh, or that Furby and be out, right? But Christmas can be like that. So I'm here today to say to all of to the station, it's been two days. I know yesterday, dads, you were probably building things. You may still need to build some stuff today, but hey, you know what? The bulk of it is probably done, hopefully, you know, or at least duct taped together, you know. But Jesus heard your, your plea, and you made it. Now, let's do it again next year, right? Let's do it all over again. And when I thought about that, like, oh, yeah, sometimes it's, it's huge, sometimes it's, it's stressful, but every year... I'm always looking forward to it. Every year, I'm always looking. It's like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, but the, every year. So I, I was asking myself, why? why? Why do we do this to ourselves every year? And I think it's because it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the end of it. It's the best time of the year because it's like Friday of the year. You're, you're almost to the weekend. You're probably in the weekend. You may not have to, if you're a teacher, you don't have to go back to school until next year. Man, you're in your weekend. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We do it because we made it. We made it, man. We made it through Easter. We made it through Valentine's Day. We made it through St. Patrick's Day. We made it through the election. Some, somewhat, we're still limping through, but hey, we made it to Christmas, Right? And we do all these things because we made it. All the highs and lows of the year can be celebrated or forgotten in these two weeks that we have, this Christmas and this New Year time. So as I was getting ready for today, I began to appreciate the peace that followed after the chaos. You know, I, everybody, we were done on Christmas Day. Everybody kind of left, went to their own spots. And me and Lindsay just sat there in silence for like an hour or two uh, before her mom came back, right? And uh, we were sitting there. It was just peaceful. It was nice. And I started to appreciate that probably the first time in my life. I know I don't have kids yet. I will learn a whole nother level of that when I have kids uh, because it will be so rare. But uh, I started looking at while I was in that piece, I started looking at the uh, Christmas story while trying to put myself uh, not in the peace of the moments, but in the chaos of the moments. So what, what in, the, in the Christmas story was chaos? And what in the Christmas story makes the peace of the Christmas story that much more precious? Right? And hopefully as we go through the story today, you'll see that peace, joy, and love prevailed despite the chaos around the birth of Christ. And now we're not going to go fully into every aspect of it. Um, I'm going to mention, I'm going to go through this, the shepherd's part. I'm going to mention the wise men, but don't crucify me if I don't go over your favorite part of the Christmas story. Uh, there's a purpose for what I'm going to go over. 
Now, to tell the story, we have to go back and forth between two books. We have to go in between Matthew and uh, the book of Luke. And because these two are the ones that actually tell us the birth story uh, in their form, uh, Mark and John, they skip the birth uh, scene and the growing up scene, and they jump straight to the baptism. Uh, when he's baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, and uh, God sends down the dove and says, this is my son. Um, and then he starts his ministry. That's where Mark and John start because Mark is writing Peter's account and John is obviously writing his own account. And that's when they started with Jesus as they started that way. Matthew, he is writing his gospel to Jewish believers, the people who are in the Jewish belief, uh, Judaism. And he needs to describe the events of Jesus' birth because there were prophecies of what the Messiah was going to be born as. And there was prophecies that needed to happen in order for this person to be deemed the Messiah. And so what Matthew does is he goes over the portions that have been prophesied over, and he gives us that account. Luke, on the other hand, he gives us eyewitness accounts. So he, when he wrote his book, and some we've already gone over this several times, but when he wrote his book, he was a doctor writing a full account for his friend who was wondering what all this Jesus story is about, what's true, what's not true. So Luke goes and he interviews the people in, in, that are still alive in that area, and he gets the full story. So he has a portion of the story that Matthew doesn't have, and Matthew goes over a portion of the story that Luke is not concerned about because Luke is not concerned about the prophecies. He's not worried about that. He's worried more about the people. What did the people experience? And so to start that off, we are going to look and hear Mary's side of the story. So we're going to start in Luke 1, 26 through 38. And I got a lot of scriptures, but hopefully we can just power through them and read them. So if you can, look on the Sky Bible over here. I'm going to look over here because online we have the box right here. <laughs> I'm going to cheat and look at the box. Um, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. I guess people didn't actually go around saying that. So she was greatly troubled by the saying and thought, stranger danger, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Favor with said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you, Jesus, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will shadow you. Therefore, the child uh, to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, 
your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month uh, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I made a misprint. Um, but Mary, what she does, she, gets, she receives this guy. She hears these words. She, it, this is a random person. It wasn't like he came with wings. It says that she was disturbed not by his wings, not by his image, but by what he said. By what he said got her attention. So this is, to her, this is just a, a man saying stuff. So what did she do? He mentioned Elizabeth, and he mentioned that she was in birth, that she was giving birth, um, that she was six months pregnant, and that she was barren, and the whole family knew this. In fact, if you read Luke, Luke goes on and he tells us the whole story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and so does Matthew. Matthew mentions it as well. And the reason why is because John the Baptist is Elizabeth's son. And so John goes before Jesus, and he starts preaching before Jesus gets there. But it's very important that these two things happen. And so Mary goes, and he, she goes to figure out what's going on with Elizabeth, because the family doesn't know. The family doesn't know that she's pregnant. So she goes in, and uh, she knocks on the door, and uh, she asks, hey, hey, Elizabeth. And the moment that Elizabeth hears the sound of Mary's voice, John kicks her in her stomach and it says, the Bible says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit immediately. Now, that's a strong statement because a lot of people believe that the Holy Spirit wasn't on the earth until after the day of Pentecost. But there's several times in the Bible that it mentions that the Holy Spirit is still, was still here on earth. And uh, so Elizabeth, boom, she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as she hears Mary, they celebrate. Um, they start, you know, uh, she... Mary ends up staying with her for three months, and they just, they have a good time. They talk, you know, they talk about being pregnant. They talk about all this stuff. Can you imagine how happy Mary was to find out that the angel wasn't some crazy crackpot, but that she was really about to have Jesus? She was really about to be pregnant with God, period, and that he was going to come back and save us. That was her son. But there's something that Luke left off in the first couple of verses. There's somebody that Luke left off. And Luke very briefly even mentions him uh, in, in the account. But Mary was engaged. Not only was she engaged, uh, the verse said that she was betrothed. Now, betrothed, it means that in a, they had a legal agreement. They had a legal binding statement or uh, agreement between her father and Joseph. And Joseph had legal rights to marry Mary. And, uh, and coming back pregnant is a bit of a problem, right? It's a bit of a problem because they haven't done anything. Uh, they're not married yet. Luckily, Matthew fills in the gap for us. And we see right here the big verse for Joseph, Matthew 1.18. It says this, now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. See, Matthew, he takes it from a different perspective. He goes Joseph's route. He's telling Joseph's story. And he says, when his mother, 
Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. Okay? I don't have to explain that, do I? Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine, guys, saying goodbye to your fiancé, who you love and adore and can't wait to marry her, goodbye, and she goes to see her cousin, her cousin, right? Goes to see her cousin, and next time you see her, she's three, pre- it's three, she's three months pregnant, right? You've been heartbroken before. That's okay, you know? But she was the good one. She was the one that convinced you to commit. She was the one that convinced you to settle down, raise a couple tykes together, you know, grow old together, hear, hear each other's stories until you're sick of them, right? That's an achievement in marriage. But instead, she comes back with someone else's tyke, right? What? Excuse me? <clears throat> According to Jewish law, not only is Joseph allowed to kill her for this, but the other men in the village are also allowed to kill her. That's not in Joseph's hands what happens to her. That everybody has a choice. This is about the time on a roller coaster when you've had the excitement of getting onto the, getting onto the, the cart, right? You've been waiting. You're on it. You're strapped in, right? You look to your friends and you're like, ah, yeah. It's going to be fun. This is going to be great. The car begins to move. It moves around to the, the first hill. You know, sometimes they go fast to the first hill. Sometimes they take it slow. But you get to the first hill, and you start hearing the clicks. And you, you start going back. You're going up all the way up to the hill. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. The clicks start slowing down. You hear one, find one. Then you get a text message that says your fiance was cheating on you and is present with their child and will be stoned by everybody else if they find out. Click! You know, you're locked in. You're, you know, you're going around. You're locked in. There's no getting out of this. You made a mistake. You thought you had a good idea. You made a really dumb mistake. Now you're praying to Jesus to help you out. That's what's happening at this point right? This was happening to Joseph. He was up on the hill. He was excited. He was ready. And then he was like, oh no. And he's locked in. He's got to make a decision. He's got to make a decision to kill Mary, to allow somebody to kill Mary, or to in shame, take her on and hide the pregnancy to his shame and to his reputation, because the moment that he does that, well, now they are labeled as the couple that couldn't wait, couldn't wait for that, and that was a big deal back then. Joseph knew that he was on a roller coaster ride, but he thought it was a teacup ride, but dude, you're on the Rattler, bro. (laughs) You should buckle up. You're on the Rattler. So Joseph's world immediately is thrown into chaos. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. He's just like standing there like this. Does he use 
his right to kill her? Now he can't do that. He loves her, right? He loves her. Even though she did that, he loves her. Does he allow someone else to? Matthew tells us his decision in Matthew 1, 19. It says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what he decided to do is to marry her, live with her for a little bit, and then quietly divorce her. Maybe move away for being out of wedlock, but instead she moves away where they don't know her. Joseph was a good man who loved Mary. He was hurt. He didn't want her to suffer that price. He loved her so much that he was willing to take on the shame of being seen as the couple who couldn't wait, or even just to hide her pregnancy until the wedding to divorce. Can you imagine how hard of a decision that was for him? Just fighting his own thoughts, fighting his own anger, his own rage, his own chaos going on in his head. But now he also has to think of other people's chaos and what are other people going to do. Matthew 1, 20 through 25 tells us the rest of it. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but... Uh, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. What he means by that is they did not they didn't consummate the marriage until after she had given birth to Jesus, and he called his name Jesus. When Joseph heard what the angel told him, the chaos he was thrown into immediately changed to peace. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He knew exactly why he needed to do it. He immediately knew the enormous role that he had been chosen for. It is my belief that Mary wasn't the only one blessed and chosen to be earthly parents of Christ. Mary was just the vessel for for Jesus to come. Joseph was in charge of his humanity. What I mean by that is that in, in, uh, in their culture and in our culture just naturally, the male figure is who gives identity in it to their children. They give identity. The women nurture and they build up, but men tell the children who they are. And if and once they once the kids see themselves in their father's eyes, they know who they need to be, how they need to be. And so Joseph's role, a lot of people write Joseph off as just kind of the stand-in guy. Joseph's role was so important because the Bible says that Jesus was fully God and fully man. So God that so Jesus experienced everything that us humans experienced that he was fully human. And so what God needed was a man that would not only not cast Mary out, 
not shame Mary, but would also raise his son to be a good man himself, to be this, this powerful uh, man of God. Uh, if you noticed, Je- uh, Jesus doesn't uh, go to ministry until he's 30, until he's 30. He dies when he's 33. So why did Jesus wait? Well, it's because Joseph was an older man. Joseph died in the course of Jesus being born and Jesus in ministry. At some point, Joseph dies, and Jesus is the head of the family. And Jesus was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. So Joseph played a super important role. But the ride wasn't over yet, right? This was just the prologue of what was about to happen. If you've ever ridden the Rattler, you know that there's a second, even bigger drop that's coming than the first drop. And that one's scarier. It definitely is scarier. Uh, We find that drop in Luke 2, 1 through 6. It says this. Sorry, allergies are kicking my butt lately. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Okay, he's making a big uh, census. This was the first registration when, I'm not even going to try, was governor of uh, Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, uh, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, ladies, I talked to the guys for a little bit. Now, ladies, can you imagine needing to go from one end of the country to the other side of the country in the last stages of your trimester, of your third trimester? You're about to have this baby, probably a week or two out from the due date. And now you've got to travel across the country. But not only that, you're not traveling in style like in a big Cadillac, but you have to cram into a Fiero with your husband, and not a good one. I mean, this is one that was like back in the 80s. It was not making it, right? And it, it's still alive today. And you've got to cram in there with your stuff, with your husband, and travel across the United States. How many of y'all would enjoy that, right? Well, that would be something that, as a pregnant wife, you'd be like, yeah, I want to do that right at the end. No, you don't. Now, trade the Fiero. That's not happening with a donkey, okay? You get a donkey to do it now. That's just not happening. That's not happening. I'm not even pregnant. I know I look it. I'm not pregnant, and I'm not going to ride on a donkey across the country. It's just not going to happen. Um, no thank you, right? And not only are you not traveling fast, you're, tra- you're walking the whole time. You are, this is a snail's pace, right? You got, and let's, let's use our calendar. I don't know if they had the same calendar back then. That's some of the debate about the census is that the census was also a part of the new calendar, that they were basing on. That's why we have B.C. and A.D., that it didn't actually matter about Jesus as much as it mattered about the changing of calendars that they were going through and, and the way that Rome was counting time. But let's use our calendar, right? Matt, uh, Luke said that it was the sixth month that the angel came and visited Mary. So let's use our calendar. Sixth month is June, okay? 
If we count nine months from June, we get February, okay? We get February. So you're at the end of February. Um, how, what is the coldest month and dampest month of the year? February. It's February. I tried to argue last year. No, January's way colder. January's way colder. And then we looked it up, and January hadn't been colder than February in like 10 years or something like that. But the roller coaster isn't over yet. Now they've got to travel. Uh, Bethlehem, uh, Nazareth and Bethlehem were approximately 90 miles away from each other. And the first trek was across fat, flatlands. But as you got closer to Jerusalem, you get into the hill country. Have you ever driven in Texas hill country before? Uh, that is pretty crazy. It's pretty deep. It's, it, it's big hills. I mean, uh, borderline mountains. And if you look at the area around Jerusalem, uh, some of it, it is mountainous. It, is, it has a lot of hills. Um, and so this is what you have to go over on a donkey. Talk about some chaos, right? The good news is that they probably weren't traveling alone because everybody had to make this trip. Everybody had to go to their own, their own you know, hometowns, right? And so there's probably a lot of people traveling, but Mary's pregnant. So they're probably not traveling with these people all the time. They're probably yields a bit and the other people walk past them. Um, but that yields uh, their next problem. Their next problem is when they get to Bethlehem, they were much slower than everybody else. So when they get there, there's nowhere to stay. There's no family to stay with. Probably everybody has family staying with them, so there's no room at other people's houses. There's no room in the hotels. So what, what do they have to do? They have to find a stable, something, just something, some shelter. Right? They finally find a stable to stay in, and Mary gives birth to the most important person that had ever and will ever exist. Born in the most humbling place, a king or God could be born. Luke tells us the rest of what happened that night in Luke 2, 8 through 19. He says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, there's something that you have to know about shepherds before we go too far. Shepherds were made up of kids, you know, the, the kids of a family, uh, orphans, or uh, just kind of vagabond people, the, the wanderers, the, the homeless people who they just need a job. And so what, what job do they get? They get shepherding because it's not hard to be a shepherd. Um, you just have to make sure that the sheep aren't eaten by things. Uh, and they stay together. So the most shepherds were considered back in that day as less than, not necessarily, not necessarily racist in a sense, but more of like an elitist kind of thing. Oh, you're a shepherd. Okay, well, we'll take, you know, the businessman's word over the shepherd's word. That's kind of how it was. So shepherd on respectable people was the lowest of, of people. Right, And so it's important for you to know that because it, there's two groups of people that come visit Jesus and they're two total polar opposite peoples. Right now we're going to talk about the shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, right? Because that'd be terrifying. You're outside sleeping, and you wake up to an angel, right? In all of its glory, not like Mary saw. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So the shepherds are like, whoa, hold on. What? You just told me some great guys being born, and I got to find them in a manger? What is happening right now? They probably didn't say that because their minds are probably blown at this point. They're just like, what is happening? Um, goes on and says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, so, so these angels are just singing away. Man, I, how many of y'all, if you were at work and all of a sudden an angel choir popped up and they're just singing, are you, are you just going to be like, oh, yeah, no. Your mind's going to be blown. You're, you're dumbfounded. You're not saying anything. One, you probably got your phone out recording it, just saying if you had enough mind to do that, that's probably what you're doing, and you're probably removed from the situation anyway. You're watching on your phone, right? So anyway, you're watching this happen, and uh, uh, go back. Is this the right one? Uh, when the angels went away from them in heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. All right, let's go see it. Let's go check it out, man. Forget the sheep. Let's uh, go look at this baby. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So these shepherds must have taken a while. Because they had, the angel just said, in a manger. So you got these shepherds, they're going into Bethlehem, going into mangers, just seeing... Hey, you know, oh, there's just a pig here. Okay, let's just we found it. I wonder if it was like the maybe the last one or that I wonder if they were just like, oh, it's just another manger, you know, and they like look in, they walk out. Oh, nothing went wait. Guys, there's somebody in here, you know, like now they're sneaking. What are they gonna do? Kick in the door and be like, hey, what's up? I know you just had a baby. Let me hang out for a little bit, right? Now that wouldn't happen, right? Joseph would probably try to kick him out. Right? But they get in, they tell, they tell Mary and Joseph what happened, and then what do they do? They go out and they start telling other people. They start telling everybody around it. They're so excited that they can't just stay there. They go out and they tell everybody. Now, not everybody's running to the manger. Why? Because they're just shepherds. They're just shepherds saying this stuff, man. I wonder what you know, I don't know what peyote they're smoking out there, you know, with the sheep. You know, like they're seeing crazy things out there. They're shepherds. Let them be. You know, so then they just go back. They go back to the manger and they, they, they 
bask in the awesomeness that is Jesus. And they leave there changed from what they saw. And I love the last sentence of this, of these verses where it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in their heart. This scripture right here makes me think that Luke's eyewitness was Mary. Because I don't know a whole lot of people that would add that, add that point. That Mary saw these things and she treasured them. The roller coaster had stopped for the time being. And Mary took note of what all had happened. She treasured what happened and pondered them. Later on, she would see two people prophesy over Jesus at the temple. Foreign wise men would see a star in the sky, a star that they were expecting. It was a prophecy for them. They saw it in the sky. Now, it doesn't, the Bible doesn't say that these foreign men, these wise men, were uh, that believed in God, believed in Yahweh. It doesn't say that. It says that they were just wise men. They were magi. They were king's advisors. They were looking up in the sky. They saw a new star, and they're going, uh, that's got to be important. Let's look it up. They find a prophecy in some text, some old text, about a coming king. So they follow the star. They don't know where they're going. They don't know that it's Bethlehem that they need to go. They're just following the star. They're like, hey, let's pack up. The Bible doesn't give a specific time of when the Magi get there. Some people believe that it was two years later, around two years later. And the reason why is because um, the next thing that happens has an age limit to it. So the Magi, they're traveling and they're going. We're not going to read it because it's another long portion of Scripture. But the Magi, they travel in. They notice that the star is hovering in Judea. So they go to King Herod. King Herod was not necessarily the king. He was like a governor. Um, So when the Romans came in and took over a place, they didn't like to just completely take over everything. What they did is they liked you to have your freedom so that you could still appreciate their rule and your freedoms of religion, your freedoms of life. You just need to respect us. So what they did is they found a Jewess. We're good. You can do your thing. So what they did is they found a Jewish king named Herod, and they filled Herod in as the king of Judea so that the people would listen to him as he gets paid and listens to Rome. And that's how how it progressed. In if you're familiar with the Easter story, it goes King Herod, Pilate, Caesar. Okay. So uh, King Herod, he's he's there, and and the story of King Herod is very very crazy. Um, king Herod became king because he killed his dad, who was also named Herod, and uh, later on. This King Herod will be killed by his son, who will also be called Herod, okay? So it's a weird family dynamic. This king is so paranoid that he actually has two of his sons killed because he thinks that they are going to kill him, which opens up the door for the third son to kill him and take his spot. It's an oxymoron, you know, catch-22 thing. But this guy's paranoid. He's so paranoid that he, you know, he, he... 
these wise men, they come and they speak to him and they say, hey, you know, they expect Herod to have a son. They come in because it's a king that they're looking for. They come to the king of Judea and they say, hey, where's your new son? We want to give him respects. And Herod's like, I don't have a new son. Um, I need to talk to some of my wives. Uh, what's going on here? You know, and they, they tell him the whole story. We found the star. We, we looked up the story. And we, so Herod says, well, I don't know. I don't know who you're talking about. And you said that the star's not hovering over here. So here's, here's what I want you to do. All right, because Herod still had, for whatever reason, right? He already killed two of his sons. But for whatever reason, he wanted to keep up the uh, image of being a good king, right? And he's like, okay, you guys go and find Jesus. You go and find this king, this new king of the Jews. You find him, you come back and tell me, and I will go pay my respects. Now, the reason why I'm going over their story it's because they do finally find Jesus. They do finally find him. And they give him the frankincense, the myrrh, and the gold. There's no, the Bible doesn't tell us how many wise men there were. It could have been two. It could have been 20. But there's three gifts. They give them to Jesus. There's importance in those gifts that we're not going to talk about. But they give it to him. And in a dream that night, they are told, don't go back to Herod. Don't report back to Herod, just leave. And so they just leave. So Mary, she has seen the shepherds come and look at Jesus, uninvited, except by God. They leave. She goes to the temple with Jesus, and there's two prophets, two prophets that prophesy over Jesus. They have never met them before, never seen Jesus before, but as soon as they see Jesus, they start prophesying over him. Then this group of foreign wise men, advisors to kings, show up at their front door. Don't know who they are, but they're bringing gifts to their, her son, and they're him chosen. They're calling him precious. They're calling him chosen. And now a paranoid king has, and the story goes, if you don't know the story, Herod ends up sending, when he realizes that the wise men aren't coming back, he gathers together troops and he sends them to Bethlehem to kill every child under two years old. That's why we don't know when the Magi were, because Herod put a two-year-old and down uh, stipulation on it. So he sends soldiers to it. Mary and Joseph escape it. They go down to Egypt. But this roller coaster for them kept going. A paranoid king would kill thousands of babies trying to kill hers, but would fail. They would live in Egypt for a time to escape the king. Then they would return home in peace and full of hope and joy. The roller coaster ended for a while, and they were able to go back. Elena, if you could come up. The birth of Christ was a chaotic, bloody, humbling affair. But out of it came a peace and hope that transcends time and space. Out of this mess, out of this, this random collection of events almost, came 
Jesus Christ. This is why we celebrate Christmas every year. It's not, it's not because Jesus was born on Christmas Day. That's just the time that we celebrate it. But it's because throughout the year, we've made it to this point. And at the end of the year, let's think about who is really important. It's Jesus. Jesus. To celebrate the eternal gift that God gave us, which was himself. So 2020 has been chaotic, bloody, humbling year. It hasn't been a year that was supposed to happen. It, it doesn't have the Christmas lights. It doesn't have the Christmas. It didn't have those things throughout the year, metaphorically speaking. We got handed a pretty big happening. And it didn't just happen to us. It didn't just happen to Houston. It didn't just happen to America. It happened across the world. Across the world, we had an event or a series of events that all of us shared. And all of us were in the same spot. Different governments handled it differently, but across the board, everybody worldwide experienced this moment together. The, this year has not turned out the way it was supposed to have gone. 2020s was a roller coaster, but it's coming to a close. We're going around the last turn. We're almost into 2021. As we pull in the station, I ask that you don't let the chaos destroy you. You don't let the chaos overwhelm you. You don't let the chaos drive out the peace that God has given us, but instead hold on to that peace. Instead, hold on to that love. Hold on to that joy. Hold on to Jesus. The hope that this isn't the end of the world, but a chance for us to spread the peace that he gave us should help us through any chaos that's coming. Now, we're not completely going to be done with 2020 when it hits 2021. 2021's going to have its own roller coaster. It's going to have its own thing. May have a little bit left over from 2020 that we still need to sort out. We still need to get over. But it is a new beginning. And don't let what happened in 2020 dictate how you go about your life in 2021 negatively. Instead, use it to get excited about the next roller coaster. Use it coming into that station, excited to go around one more time. Excited to take that tear, take the that hill. Excited to ask Jesus to forgive everything that you've ever done in, in ever. And excited about promising that land is things to God. But making it to that next roller coaster and enjoying not necessarily the chaos of the situation or, or letting the chaos overwhelm you, but enjoying that peace that follows the chaos, that follows those things. I, had, I watched a podcast the other day, and it was talking about uh, 
Navy SEALs and their training. And it was a, it was a Navy SEAL that was talking. He said, uh, he's, he's a trainer himself now. And he said, you know, these guys, they get maybe um, four hours of sleep in two weeks. And uh, those, those are not back-to-back. It's like 15-minute sleep here, 15-minute sleep there. Uh, and they're doing intensive stuff the whole time. And he said, the people who don't, the people who wash out and don't make it are the people who can't make the world small, are the people who can't zero in on something that is small. He said, the, the thing that got me through basic, or through whatever they call it, uh, squibs or something, I don't know. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm going to try. But in the course of that, he said, what got me through that was mealtimes. I knew that they had to give us a meal every six hours or every four hours, whatever it was. And he said, as long as I could make that meal, I was good. So every single time that we were carrying a, a boat, we were, we were, you know, sloshing around in the sand and mud, and, you know, every single time we were doing a night operation with no sleep, I kept pushing myself. All you got to do is make it to that next meal. And he made his world small, and he made his world compact. When we're in the chaos, when we're in, you know, in 2020, one of the things that helped me not get overwhelmed in 2020 is that I made my world small. I made my world where I know what God told us. I know as new information is coming out, I'm seeing that information. I'm making my world small. Because the only way that I am not going to be overwhelmed is by taking the small piece and going at it. Joseph took the small piece. He said, I'm not going to worry about other people mad at Mary. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take that on myself. If you're going to be mad at somebody, be mad at me. Not be, don't be mad at Mary. He brings her on as they're traveling, you know, as they're, they're going through and they're traveling to Bethlehem. I'm sure that, you know, there are moments that Mary just couldn't travel anymore and they had to take a break. I'm sure there was moments that Joseph had to sit down for a while because he's been walking all day. And in those moments, they came together and they held each other and they encouraged each other and they kept going despite their chaos. In the manger, Mary gives birth and it's, it's got to be a traumatic experience, right? I watched a video the other day where a lady was walking to her midwife clinic, and she ain't going any further. And she gives birth at the steps of the midwife clinic. That's a chaotic moment. That's a very chaotic moment. They just had this chaos. It wasn't in vain. God sends them a bunch of shepherds to tell them, hey, it wasn't in vain, that this is important. Then further down the road, they're still going, man, I don't know. That was crazy. That was hectic. And two prophecies, two prophecies are given to them when they go to the temple. When the first time Jesus ever goes to a temple as a baby, he gets prophesied over two random people. And they, they go, wow, man, that was crazy. You know, that was cool. Then foreign diplomats come. These wise men come. 
calling Jesus king, giving him presents. These guys that have traveled from all over the world to see them. These small moments were treasured by Mary. And I think not just because it had to do with her son, but because of the chaos that was happening around them and that these things was what helped them hold on. These things is what helped them propel on. When, when Herod was coming after Jesus, trying to kill Jesus, they had a way out. They made it to Egypt. And on their way back, Herod had died in the process of them being in Egypt to getting back. So their journey back was not one of fear, was not one of hiding, was not one of, of it, don't tell anybody who you are. But instead, it was almost a march of triumph back home, back to Nazareth back to the life that they were going to have together. You know, uh, a lot of people, Christmas is not a fun time. Christmas is not cool. They, they have people that they've lost. They have people that aren't there anymore. Some people have lost them on Christmas. And Christmas every year is just a reminder of what they've lost. But I asked, when I talked to those people, I asked them, what are some of the things that you won? What are some of the things that, that you've won during those times? They've won during the year. And focus on those things. Don't necessarily focus on the loss, but focus on the joy that you have when you tell the stories to your kids. When you tell them about Uncle Bo, the uncle that they've never seen. When you tell them about the uncle that they've never seen before, that they don't know about, but that existed, that was there, that was a part of their family. They don't know who he is, but they can through you. They can through you. And so hold on to that peace. Hold on to that joy that you did know him. And you get to tell your kids, you get to tell your family, you get to tell your friends about them. And at that time, it's not a moment of loss, but instead it's a time of memory and joyful memory. You know, one of the coolest things, uh, if y'all have seen the movie Coco, uh, Disney movie about Day of the Dead and everything, in that culture, they believe uh, that if someone is forgotten, that their spirit moves on, right? But as long as they're remembered, their spirit lives on and their spirit is always going. The thing is that we don't have to do that with Jesus. He's always going to be there. It's not if he's forgotten Jesus never existed, that he didn't do anything for us. No, Jesus did everything for us. And he's always going to be there. And it's my belief that the people who you've lost, the people who maybe Christmas isn't a fun time because of that, those people are there. Those people are there with you. And they're celebrating and they're joyful with you. And they don't want to see you sad. They don't want to see you mourning because they want you to have that joy. They want you to have that peace. They want you to have a wonderful Christmas even if it's without them.
So as we go into New Year's, um, we have one more week left of 2020. And I challenge you to make this last week the best week of 2020 that that you can spend time with your family, that you can uh, excel at your job going into 2021, that you can line everything up that New Year's Day, that you are full of on New Year's Eve and switches to New Year's Day, that you are full of joy, that you are full of peace, that you are full of understanding, and that you can stand on the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord no matter what happens in our world. If that's the small thing that you need to make, Jesus is never, ever going to change. He's always going to be there. His love is always going to be there. And hopefully, we will always be there with you. So go ahead and bow your heads. I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for coming down into our chaos, God, and showing us how to love, showing us how to live in peace, God. I pray as we go out here, out of here today and we get offline, God, I pray that we are determined, determined to focus on you, that we are determined to have that peace, that we are determined to have that hope, God, that you are working everything to our good, that you are always going to be with us, that you are never going to fail us, but that you're always, always there, God. In Jesus' name, amen.